Welcome to another episode of the CPD Show. My name's Amanda Wilson. And I am Cleon Wilson. Hello, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, good day. Whenever you might be listening to this show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for being part of the discussion. And in this week's episode, we wanted to focus specifically on a very topical issue, but also a very personal issue for many different reasons. And I just wanted to start by giving you a bit of background as to who I am as an individual in terms of my career journey. So I started as a learning support assistant at a primary school and I started working in schools at around 1998. And I pretty much decided to get into education purely because it, it fit around my daughter and it was very convenient at the time. So I started working at a primary school in East London and at that time I kind of made the decision that I was wanting to get into teaching. So I worked as a special needs teaching assistant for about six months and I went and did a postgraduate certificate in education, a PGCE, with the Urban Learning Foundation that was part of St Martin's University and that was a part-time PGCE and when, it, when I say part-time it was something I did so I could work at the same, same time so it was very flexible. I then started working in a primary school in South London and due to one reason or another that didn't work out and that was more because of what I'd been promised when I started working there as a newly qualified teacher didn't actually come to fruition so I decided to leave and I was very fortunate in that the place where I'd done my final teaching practice said that I could start there early. They'd already offered me a job to start in September. This was around April time and they said that I could start early. So I moved to a school in East London where I was there for five years and it was it was a good five years. I became the ICT coordinator. Now we'd call it computing lead but I was the ICT coordinator in my second year because I wanted to be the ICT coordinator. I approached the head teacher and said look this is something I would like to do and although it wasn't something that is common, you know, teachers, new teachers don't often take up leadership positions so early, especially on request. I thought, you know what, I know that I can do it. And it's something that I did. And I did an exceptionally good job, even if I may say so myself. And I led a project regarding laptops and computers in schools. And that led me to then move on to become a an educational consultant for a private company. And then after about five years of working there there were lots of redundancies going on so I thought you know what let me jump before I'm pushed so I decided to start looking for an assistant head teacher role and my line manager at the time was uh, a white lady called Emma lovely lady and she said she knew somebody who was a head teacher of a school that were looking for a deputy head now bearing in mind I'd been out of school for five years and I, although I'd worked in schools as part of my educational consultant role, I hadn't been front facing in the classroom. So I'd kind of, you know, missed out on a lot of the, the educational journey as such. So I was planning to go in at a lower level, but this individual helped me to raise my expectations and I went in as a deputy head teacher. I was very successful in that role as a deputy head teacher. I then moved on to become a head of school within the same organisation, it became a federation, and I did very well in my role as head of school. And now I've moved from there last year and I'm now a head teacher at my own school in South London. And the reason I wanted to give a synopsis of the journey that I've been in isn't to show off, it isn't to kind of say, look, look at me, this is what I've done, but it's to say that 
I've worked really hard and through the 20 plus years that I've been in education, I've always known that I've had to work hard. I've always known that I've had to make sure that I have that spirit of excellence in everything that I do, maybe even more so than my white counterparts, because it's very easy to see individuals who are not black, who are given positions simply because it's who they know and simply because of the colour of their skin. And some people listening may think, oh, that's not all this the case, it's the best person that gets the job. It's not always the best person that gets the job. In my case, it was a case of who I knew. I got my job, my first deputy headship, because of the person that I knew. Because somebody knew me, they knew my skills, they knew my work ethic, they knew my capability, and they recommended me to somebody. I've been very fortunate in my role in education. I don't believe that I have overtly experienced racism in my role as an educator. But what I do know is that I'm still very much the only black person in the room. I know that when I go to head teachers conferences, although I work in a very diverse borough, there are still only two or three out of 40, 50 head teachers in that room. And it's not something that I go out of my way to look for. It's not something that I go out of my way to notice. It's just really obvious. It's similar to if a white person went to Ghana or Nigeria they would find, and I've, you know, having a conversation with a colleague at work, and she was telling me how she, when she went to a Ghanaian party, and she was the only white person in the room, you know, she was married to a Ghanaian at the time. And that's how it is for black people the majority of the time. They are the minority in the room. I am one of 3% of leaders in education, in an environment where the majority of students that I teach or have taught in the past are black. And there are inequalities there and there are misunderstandings and there are injustices that take place in schools because of the lack of diversity. Now, I wanted to start off this way because I don't want this episode of the podcast. It's not about beating anyone down. It's not about condemning anybody. We know that there are issues. We know that there is systemic racism. We know that. But what I'm about is finding solutions. And what this podcast episode is about is about educating the educators on issues of race and how can we make sure that those who work in schools who are not black but who teach black children who have the influence a level of influence over our black young people understand what their role really is that's where I wanted to start off Cleon what would you say is one of the number one things that somebody working in a school who is not black but works at a predominantly black or ethnic minority school should be aware of? A line comes to mind from a book, and I think it's really based on the Bible and some scriptures there, which goes on to talk about seek first to understand, then to be understood. So as you were speaking towards the end of your explanation about who you are and professionally where you've come from, I thought about that line, seek first to understand, then to be understood because if you don't know what it's like to, or just have an understanding, just a basic level understanding, appreciation of a black student or child, young person, pupil, whatever you want to call them, and those terms are interchangeable, of course. If you don't have an idea of where they've come from, their cultural experiences, their experiences personally in terms of their own individual upbringing in the home, and all that kind of stuff, 
and at least to be able to appreciate and understand where they're coming from, then you're not, then you're going to be ignorant to a degree. And that's, that goes for if me as a black teacher and a practitioner at the time in, in class wasn't aware of my white, some of my white students, Hindu students, Sikh students, even students with special educational needs and all the different mix and the variances and all the kind of the, that rich tapestry that makes for a wonderful classroom environment and setting. <laughs> yeah, you've got to sort of dampen it down a bit. It's getting a bit tense. Oh, no, in all seriousness, um, it's important to appreciate other people. You cannot appreciate and get to understand someone else unless you've walked a mile in their shoes. Unless you've kind of... No, in all seriousness, I'm trying to be serious. You get, you've got to get to know them. You've got to understand your context. That's really, really important. Now, if the context is majority black students or black and Asian students or Turkish students, you know, the list goes on and on, then for goodness sake, appreciate that context. So know about a little bit about the culture. Maybe if there's other languages spoken frequently, know a little bit, bit about those languages. And it just brings people, yourself and the student closer together. Um, I... I know about two words, maybe I might stretch to four if I really squeeze my brain, um, Turkish words. And I used to use that just in a very light-hearted, basic way. When I knew a student was Turkish, I would say my one or two Turkish words. Their eyes would light up. They would then speak more Turkish to me. I would then <laughs> laugh and look confused or walk away. And that was kind of it. However, what was what happened in that moment and in those series of moments is little bits of ice as it were were broken down mm. and they understood that I that had a I had a bit of a respect and appreciation of them to, to a very small degree as I've said so just imagine if on the teacher training programs if it was mandatory if it's compulsory to start having an idea and an understanding of context if in the induction processes across schools and colleges and those institutions there was um, it was compulsory to have that awareness not to be a tolerant society because that word tolerant is is awful and I don't like it not to just tick a box but actually to bring people together a lot of the time and to dispel myths and ignorances and to understand that on an ex experiential level they understand me and I understand them and that is really powerful you know the amount of behavior issues and disrespect issues or not getting homework done or not engaging in class or being a pain, being irritable, all those kind of things. You you can break down and, and just eradicate so many of those things if you start to understand them. Another quick point is three key R's. Three R's, okay? You know, I like my single letters. So there's three R's that I mentioned when I delivered some training a couple of weeks ago now to some foster carers. And it, they were R's that I kind of just self-analyzed, reflected on what was going on when I worked in secondary school as a mentor and of course a middle leader, and um, realised that there were three R's at play, the way I saw it at the time. And, and, that, and it was to do with engaging with students. And it can work for adult to adult, it can work for professional to professional, the way I see it. First R, no particular order, is to be real. So with young people, particularly those that are of age and of sense, they respect you being real with them. Not fake, not plastic, not always by the book, and based on the behavior policy or based on your own classroom rules, but actually realizing that we're human, we make mistakes, and there sometimes needs to be some flex and some, and some give and take to be relevant. So teachers 
and more so parents I'd argue but also teachers need to be really relevant in this world in the society we're living in if you've got no concept of things like TikTok I don't know if Snapchat is even such a big thing anymore but Snapchat and those kind of things that young people are engaged in and involved in particularly around technology or the lingo and that kind of stuff then you just you almost build a big kind of chasm between you and them in a lot of respects and and that's when the ignorance builds up that's when the misunderstanding builds up and the ice that maybe was broken before tends to build up as well and the third R is about relationship young people don't appreciate and I'm sure adults are the same you just arriving one day as the new as the NQT newly qualified teacher as the new mentor as the new head teacher whatever you are and just start giving out orders or making demands or telling people to do their ties up pull their socks up put their bag on two shoulders or whatever you've got to get to know them to some degree goes back to what I've originally said you've got to understand and appreciate them and once you have an idea of their name what they're about a little bit of ice is broken then once you've built on that relationship then there can be that give and take and there can be times of you having to correct and discipline as well as times where you hopefully will find something to praise them about and be specific around that praise so real relevant and relationship I think are three key things and one of the things that one of the carers added to which was great and I said to her I'd use it and here's here's that moment is relaxed and that is if you show that your buttons are being pressed then here's what young people as well as adults out there because it can be very political the work environment we'll start pressing that button and pressing that button and pressing that button again and pressing that button again and pressing that gut button again it's starting to get annoying isn't it because the button's being pressed so be relaxed be relaxed about it don't let these things phase you and you will see a different outcome and when we look at the issue of race within schools and those understanding the individuals that you are teaching that you are imparting knowledge into it is really important to be able to understand the culture because what I found in my years of being a mentor to a lot of newly qualified mm. teachers over the years is that a lot of teachers are coming from outside of London. And I always remember yeah. one teacher, one new um, teacher trainer in particular said, you know, where, the, the, where she came from, it literally was, you come outside of our house and it was just sheep, you know, it was just cows, it was countryside. She'd never interacted and, and had that relationship with black children, black people, other races before and so coming to mm. London which is for those that you know live work uh, and and have been brought up here is a multicultural city Birmingham Manchester Sheffield all those kind of cities are very multicultural and for anybody coming from outside of those areas and coming from very rural areas which many teachers do many teachers come from rural areas they've not had that close-up personal interaction with people of color with black people and so they don't understand some of the cultural differences many of the cultural differences one in particular that comes to mind straight away and not to stereotype because again that's what we want to step away from but some of the parents from certain African countries when they interact with each other they are very expressive mm very expressive in the way they talk, the way they use their hands, the way they use their voice. And sometimes that may feel that 
feel very intimidating because they're they're raising their voices and they're talking in a language that you may not understand and they're expressing themselves and their facial expressions are all very dramatic doesn't mean to say they're angry doesn't mean to say they're cross that's just the way that they interact just the way they communicate and sometimes that can come across as somebody is getting up in your face or somebody's being rude to you and our children that we teach in our schools are from those households and our children are just as expressive as their parents and when a child yeah. starts yeah. speaking and starts trying to express themselves and if they start you know their voice raises an octave it doesn't necessarily mean they're being rude towards you it can mean that that's the way they express themselves I'm you know, sitting here, sitting down and using my hands to speak. And, and Cleon has often commented on how much I use my hands. That's just the way that I am. That's just the way that I, I express myself. And sometimes if you don't understand that, you don't understand how that individual operates, you can take it the wrong way. And I think very often in schools, that is what half the problem is, is that somebody expresses themselves in a way that's different to you or different to what you're used to, that you take it the wrong way you then comment on that and you then tell that student don't raise your voice or don't you know don't point your hands and that students can't understand what you mean because that's just the way they're expressing themselves and because they're trying to express themselves and they're getting passionate about what they're saying or about what they're trying to explain that may change the tone of their voice. Now, I'm not saying that's, that's the case every single time, but it's these nuances and these things that we need to be able to understand in order to get a better picture of the students that we are dealing with. Amen to that. It's true. It's absolutely true. If you don't understand or don't get someone, then it's really, I think, it's incumbent on you to try to get to know that person, try to have an understanding and there's a lot of times, particularly, I'm speaking from an example of the settings that I've worked in, in education, there is a lack of emotional intelligence. And I remember one of the head teachers that I worked for um, mentioning that, and it just really resonated with me because I did a whole dissertation on it, and it was a big part of my degree. And also because as soon as he said it, it kind of crystallized and solidified a lot of what was going on at the time. And it's very, very true. There's a lack of understanding others, a lack of social understanding, awareness, empathy. And that manifests itself in, in, as you say, unfair responses or reactions and not wanting to appreciate or understand that difference. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, as I say, it does need to be compulsory. It does need to be something on the radar from government down into schools and schools have to do it as important as safeguarding is as important as the curriculum is and teaching and learning all these things are always kind of repeated and rammed down our throats mostly rightly a lot of them it's a you know waste of time quite frankly i think that appreciating difference and culture and getting to know one another is really really important otherwise you just remain ignorant i was ignorant of for example um aspects of buddhism aspects of hinduism sikhism until I partly, it's because I became RE leader, religious education leader, and also because I wanted to do deliver certain aspects of those subjects and those faiths in a certain way when I taught, I made it a point of informing myself more about it, researching it more, 
taking the students themselves on trips to explore things more. And I remember we had a staff, a CPD training actually. We went to one of the temples and I was ignorant at the time, very ignorant of that faith um, of, of that religious group and what they stood for never been into one of their temples before not that I could remember maybe in primary school I did and I was I wasn't curious I wasn't anxious I, d- I don't know how I felt but I was just kind of I had question marks before we went and then went and just had a great great time receiving staff training there in a completely different setting completely out of my comfort zone not quite in the panic zone I mentioned a few weeks ago but more in that stretch zone and I learned I learned things about the the religious organization and that religious belief as well as the actual content of the CPD so that was that was really great experience to come out of comfort zones and to receive familiar training but in a completely different setting. Yeah and I think sort of thinking about something you just said about you know getting to know your children I I think and especially for primary school teachers who have the same Mm, class throughout the whole year you have a class of 30 children that's right and my question to primary school teachers would be out of your 30 children how many do you actually understand the cultural differences of how many that you have do you actually understand what their culture is like so if you have Nigerians in children in your class do you know what dialects they speak because there's no such language as Nigerian do they speak Ibu do they you know what 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 language do they speak do you have Ghanaian children in your class what language do they speak at home can they speak it at home do you understand what Eba and Fufu uh, and and Semolina is do you understand why Muslim children may be that bit more tired on a on a Monday morning simply because they you know they've been to mosque over the weekend or they've been to they've been to school over the weekend because yeah, a lot of yeah. our children who are Muslim children they go to to a, a Muslim school after school and I do remember that from when I worked at a school in in Canning Town and a few of our children did used to finish at half past three or quarter past three and then go on and do yeah, an hour there. worth of other you know they used to learn the Quran. An Islamic um, expectation is that all children understand aspects of the Quran, so that's what they had to go away and do. So it would have been understandable why some of them might have come to school on Monday morning tired. When Ramadan happens, do you understand what Ramadan actually is? Do you understand the concept and why children... Um, some children may want to go through that period of fasting. Why some people, children don't go through that period of fasting. Do you have that conversation with the parents to find out what their children are doing? Do you have that opportunity to talk to your students about those times of the year? Those children whose parents may um, may celebrate Kwanzaa. Do you understand what Kwanzaa is? I'm not going to explain it here because it's the kind of thing that you need to go away and do the research for yourself because you may have some people and some children in your school whose parents celebrate that festival. You may have some children in your class whose parents are Rastafarian. It's different from Christianity. Do you understand how that's different? Do you understand how Jehovah Witnesses are different from Christianity? Because some of our children come from those backgrounds as well, not just black children, but white children. So it's understanding all these elements. And yes, it is a lot to get to grips with. And nobody's saying that you have to end up with a PhD in every child in your class. But to have an awareness, to have an understanding, so that you know that if a child comes into school on a Monday morning and they're acting a certain way there may be different things that have happened over the weekend to cause them to act that way some of our children 
who go to Pentecostal churches or black majority churches may spend longer in a church service on a Sunday than other children that go to Anglican churches or Catholic churches may do. And it's about understanding that, you know, church services for different groups of people are very different. So it's about not lumping everybody into the same box. It's about understanding that everybody has a different experience and as educators, in order to make sure that we are able to reach those children and reach those young people, we have to have a true appreciation of those differences, regardless of what colour, regardless of what ethnicity, there are differences. Not every white child is the same. Not every Asian child is the same. Not every Chinese child is the same. They are all different. They all have different experiences. So we need to move away from trying to stereotype, move away from trying to put everybody in a box and understand that everybody has a different experience. That's all well and good. And, and I hear what you're saying. And I do agree with what you're saying. However, what about that for those teachers who are in secondary schools and they'll typically be teaching, they'll be teaching hundreds of students essentially across different year groups. And of course it will be based on the subject they're teaching and they may see lots of students throughout the week, throughout the day. What about that dynamic? So there you still have an awareness of the, the, the different groups of children in your school, so ethnicities within your school. So if you know that your school is poor or majority of your students in your school are black, they're not all going to be from the same black background. Hmm. So understanding what backgrounds they come to. And if you've got a good um, management information system, then you can get that data up quite easily. You can easily find out you know, that the largest majority is from Nigerian background or from the yeah. Congo or from here or from there. And you can, that information is readily available to all members of staff within that school. So even if you can't understand individual children, because, you know, like you said, it's very different from primary school where you stay with, you're with the same group of children for the whole year, for the whole day. But in a secondary school, you can still have an overview of the diversity that exists within your school. I, I agree with that. What... Can, what can be done almost immediately or straight away? So the solution that I mentioned, I think we agree on in terms of going from the head, going from the, the government in terms of the education department, making those radical changes. And, and that sometimes can happen straight away in terms, or at least the conversation can be started with things like change.org and other mechanisms. However, that may not be an immediate thing. So what is the incentive, I think is my question, for schools or for individual departments or teachers to want to do this? Because you will build better relationships. I think if you are in a position where you have that knowledge, then you will build better relationships with the students and the parents that you have in your school and you will more have them on side. And when you have to have difficult conversations, you are going to be coming at it from a different angle because you have an understanding, you have more of an awareness and you're not going to have that, that bias that you might have had had you not had that information, had you not had that awareness. I think, I think that's a really good point you've made and that can really help professionals and that can help teachers and staff members in schools. But I can also, I can also see there being a group, if you like, or a subset of that and that is a lot of the time in my experience that's come from sometimes academy schools and academy chains they're so focused on results they're so focused on outcomes that and 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 they back that up with of course their resource their kind of perceived and actual power that they have in the community and in in that area and the school itself 
and they also back that up with their rigorous approaches and their policies and so on and so there isn't an incentive if you like it's not even on the teacher's radar or on that middle leader or senior leader's radar to do those things you've said mm -hmm. because actually they will be backed up if you like by the policies by the systems so if it's a zero tolerance policy and it's all about and 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 I, i've worked in a in such a school and i think that has a bit of a place but also i can see how it was destructive in a lot of ways and i can see how it didn't build community if you like so much and it disgruntled parents and even and even now there's actual disgruntlement that's risen up and rising up on twitter and on social media based on the behaviors and the way things were carried out in that school all those years ago and now so it's actually very topical what we're talking about and and it's quite dear to my heart so i guess what what's the incentive for those ceos of academies and those executive principals to want to put that in place because it will have a tiny drop in the ocean effect if you like if it's one teacher doing it or a couple of teachers doing it but if it's at the principal level and not, maybe not even at governmental level but across the different school principals and head teachers that can be effective so so how do how do we how do we square that circle i think if you as a school leader ceo whatever your role is if mm. you at the top don't want an inclusive school you shouldn't be running a school if you don't want a school mm. where everybody is important because you can have a zero tolerance approach to a school mm. you can have a zero tolerance approach to behavior you can have a, a an approach where you are this is what our expectations are this is how we're making it clear but it's all about how you communicate that to people absolutely, absolutely because agree. if you are so this is zero tolerance this is how it is don't even bother to ask me any more questions. Mm. Then automatically you're going to put people's backs up. You're going to put parents' backs up. If you take time yeah. to explain <laughs> to parents, this is why we need a zero tolerance policy in our school. This is how it will benefit. This is the impact it will have both on your child from a social point of view and an academic point of view. And those parents then understand that process. Yeah. They'll Start come with alongside why. with you. And if you don't yeah. do that and you just dictate everything, then, you know, yes, as a leader, you have to be able to say, this is what we're doing. But it's then about bringing everybody along with you. And if you don't do that, you've lost people from the beginning. Completely agree. So, it, so it, it's back to that whole idea of starting with why mm -hmm. and explaining the why because a lot of the why is the pitch the why is the promotional the why is the sales yeah isn't it so if you explain this is why and if you just sort of switch into thinking about a product this is why this product's so great this is why the product will change your life this is why the product you need to buy it yesterday this is why you should have had the product already because it's wow wow does this this and this and it and straight away people are triggered to obviously make that sale if you switch it into education now and like what you're saying it can benefit you in terms of your relationship with the student you know much more workable and collaborative community feel in terms of parents and teachers in the school in terms of your own cpd and development in terms of the way the curriculums run if it can fit into those all those kind of things which i believe it can do and will do because it's about the student and student-centered then yeah i see i see how that could be very transformative actually it's given me some ideas Fabulous. Now, the other thing that is high on the agenda at the moment when it comes to schools is, is the curriculum. And yes. there's lots of petitions going... I know there's one, one petition in particular about changing the curriculum so that it teaches more about black history and the black experience. And for me, we need to get to a place where 
the black experience is just part of the educational experience it's not an add-on it's not an let's do this as a special project i'm i've always been in two minds about the whole theory the whole aspect of black history and you know having a a month or a week or or whatever it is that is put aside in schools to acknowledge the black experience and for me and this is a conversation that i had with my teachers or some of my teachers earlier on last week it's about making it part of what we do as in the curriculum so i was given an example as a person you know somebody who computing is my subject primary computing let's not kind of get it too confused here primary computing is my subject and one of the units that we have to do is on control modeling and it's all linked to i think year four do it year three or four and it's all linked to being able to control some traffic lights now if i was teaching that lesson my starting point would be, you know, a, look, a little bit about the history of, of of the traffic light and where it came from and who invented it. And on my board, I would have a picture of the, you know, somebody who was very instrumental in the creation of the traffic light. And I'd have that individual's picture up on the board, the picture of the traffic light. And it would just so happen that that individual was black. And it would just so happen that that individual is not somebody that we know about and off the top of my head I can't remember the guy's name and again that that just says an awful lot the fact that I can't remember his name but it just goes to show that I'm not making a big deal about about it in terms of this is the the black history lesson on you know all the black inventors this is just a computing lesson and one of the things I'm focusing on is the person who created this product or this 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 thing and he just happens to be black and I think the more we normalize it the more we have images up of individuals that have done different things to develop our society the more it will just become part of every day because very often when we talk about inventors when we talk about scientists when we talk about historians they're all white but there are many more individuals that contributed to our world and there are many more individuals of different ethnicities that contributed to our worlds. And sometimes it just takes us as educators to do that little bit more research. The information is more readily available now than it probably was 10 years ago. Definitely more readily available than it was 40 or 50 years ago. And in particular, when we think about the English curriculum, our curriculum is still very antiquated. It's, it's extremely antiquated. And I think it's for us now, we've got this perfect opportunity to bring it up to date. And so it's not, it's not trying to force the black experience is trying to make it part of what we do as everyday teaching and learning i think it's important to make sure that we also focus on what's happening in this country because again very often when we do black history we're focusing on the american experience we're focusing on what happens you know the 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 martin luther kings and the rosa parks but actually there were things there were activists going on in this country hundreds of years ago you have Equiano Udu, and I, don't, I know I've not pronounced his name correctly, but you have a historian, you have an academic in, in this country who contributed to the history of the United Kingdom, and we need to make sure that we're recognising those black experiences. That's one of the reasons, and there's a bit of a plug here, why I created the book Letters to a Young Generation, because I wanted the young people in this country to hear the voices of individuals that grew up in this country, not necessarily the voices of individuals that grew up in America, because that's a very different experience living in the UK has its own issues has its own challenges and I think we need to embrace and acknowledge those but I think when we're looking at the curriculum especially from you know I can only speak from a primary point of view it's making sure that we are 
showing that diversity not making it a you know not not making it um you know uh an obvious things like oh look you know there's a there's an in, you know there's an asian inventor or there's an in, in a chinese mathematician or it's just this is an individual that has done something in this field oh and by the way they happen to be of this ethnicity that's where we need to get to one of the things that we did in my school at the beginning of this um year and one of my teachers started to to push forward was looking at we wanted to develop cultural capital within our students and we were focusing particularly on composers. And over the course of about six or eight weeks, we looked at eight composers, a different composer every week. And the level of diversity in those composers wasn't phenomenal. We had black composers, we had white composers, we had Chinese composers, we had we have composers from the 20th century, we had composers from the 18th century, we had composers that composed Baroque music, we had, you know, looked at Shaku Kanemason. We we looked at so many different composers, all diverse, all from different backgrounds and from different eras, but all doing the same job all having the same role and that's what we need to get to so that children when you say to them name your composer they're not just thinking of Beethoven or Vivaldi they're thinking of individuals that are relevant to them as individuals because they've seen an image of them and they can relate to them. You are very passionate about this area that we're talking about Mrs Wilson which is fantastic. Black History Month load of nonsense. I can't stand Black History Month. It is tokenistic it is just chucking, you know, a few scraps to just show that we've ticked another box and we're a tolerant society. What a load of foolishness. That being said, when I was teaching in the primary school for those few years, I, I, didn't, I didn't have to. I would have gotten away with not covering anything that month, to be honest. However, I took that opportunity because I, it, it's, it's got to be bigger than myself. If you're only teaching or leading someone the way you want to teach or lead, then that's quite selfish. So I did reflect on that. But I, and, and I took that up as an opportunity to share some black history that I think students wouldn't have been aware of before. And I deliberately didn't teach or explain anything about Martin Luther King because I think that would have already done its death and would have been done years before. I definitely didn't teach anything about slavery because I never forget seeing a post on social media a few years ago and and it was so true and it really resonates with me still to this day which which says which stated on it that slavery isn't black history slavery interrupted our history and that is just so so true mm. and there's lots of people and i dare say there will be white maybe some will be black or from other ethnic groups who really believe that that is the sum total of black history and they would you know you've done yourself an ignorant disservice as well as others it's nothing to do with our history it completely interrupted it and you would not find me teaching about it pick up your own book do your own google search and find that for yourself i took the opportunity instead to and i remember sharing i, I use stevie wonder because he's just an amazing person musically and he's so creative and there's so much that he has done over the years and is still doing and and it really dovetailed really nicely with some other key figures as well and I used that to I used that in a music lesson when I when I taught the class his version of happy birthday which we then used every time someone had a birthday particularly me and um you know it was just there were just such opportunities and I but I do really agree with you Mrs Wilson that it, it needs to get to a stage where it happens and it's a very broad and diverse history teaching in the curriculum 
and in all aspects of, of history. It needs to be truthful history, not whitewashed and skewed history that just makes one group look awesome and all the other people and groups and places, you know, the, def the, the defeated ones. That isn't accurate history. That's not true history. That's, that's called lies. So this needs to be very, very honest history and it needs to reflect those, again, going back to those students and knowing your students, reflect those students that are there and teach them a little bit about their own identity and who they are so that they can then be switched on to that subject. I was switched off in history, in a lot of aspects of history and things like geography because I didn't think it really related to me. It didn't really show me anything about myself or what I was about or where I could be. It just seemed to speak on other people or other areas or things that were completely removed. I believe the minute you engage that child in terms of the aspects of what you're discussing or talking about in so many different ways that you can do it is, is the time when you get them switched on and your behavior issues just disappear and they're engaged in it and they want to do the work. They want to engage in it. They want to even do more work and more homework and more research because you suddenly explain to them, for example, this is how you budget. This is how you work out your finances. This is how you do that. This is how you do the other. And st and straight away, it's got a real element to it, going back to the R. It's got a practical element to it, and it actually fuses it all together. If it's a redundant history that's from years ago, I don't want, I personally don't want to know about it. And I've seen a lot of young faces over the years, and they don't want to know about it either. Yeah, and I think you know, if you're f focusing on history in particular, even though there's a specified curriculum, you can still bringing elements of personal experience into that area of the curriculum if you are talking about the romans and you're doing a lesson on the romans there were black romans there were individuals that were of different races during those periods of times it's about how you can widen what you have to teach and again that may mean that you have to do a bit more research yourself but if that's the case in order to make that lesson more relevant to the children that are sitting in front of you then do that and i think as teachers, I would encourage you to speak to your leaders. If you feel that your curriculum is very narrow in the experiences that it provides, then have that conversation as to how you could broaden it. But I think go about that discussion in the right way. Go with a plan. Always go to your leader with a plan. Always go to your leaders with a plan as to how it can be implemented and cover all the you know the, the possible ways that they could say no or the reasons that they could say no because sometimes it's just fear of deviation with the curriculum when you look at the national curriculum document there are set things that you have to teach yes but there are also ways that you can add things to the curriculum so so long as you are ticking off those boxes that the government says yes you need to teach this you need to teach this and you need to teach that if you then want to add and enhance what you are teaching there is nobody that can tell you that's not the right thing to do and that's something that we're doing in our school and we've made sure that when we, each subject leader looks at their curriculum they're also looking at right what else do we want our children to learn in that area if i just focus on computing for example there's nowhere in the computer curriculum that actually talks about historical aspects of computing there's nowhere in the computing curriculum that actually talks about the founder of the internet so why aren't we teaching that crucial thing we're teaching children how to use the internet but we're not actually talking about who invented it how it was used how it's still used how it can benefit society today so it's those kind of things that we need to be bringing in it's about thinking about how are you making sure that your curriculum meets the needs of that ch the children in that particular area of london or wherever you are so i think about the the area of greenwich that 
my children live in, how can we make sure that we are embracing the area that our school is situated in, whilst at the same time making sure that we are having that coverage that we're supposed to have. It's about making sure that you are giving your children an all-rounded education. I think also, the other thing on the back of that is that I'd say you just need to start having those conversations in school. You, and I'm talking to my you know, black counterparts, my Asian counterparts, it's about you having those conversations with your colleagues about your own experiences. So, for instance, for me, yes, I'd have those conversations about church and about the fact that, yes, I was at church last night and, you know, this is the kind of gospel music that we have when we talk about um, when we're in church, which is very different from the Anglican experiences. I play those songs in collective worship. I play a balance because we have a balance of children in our school. I'm going to be able to talk to children about what they had for dinner. It might have been Ebba. It might have been Stew. And understand why they're saying they don't like the school dinners at school. Because, quite frankly, if I came from a household where I had rich, well-seasoned food at the end of every evening and then I came to school and had some of the bland meals that were provided, I might have an issue with it as well. So again, it's about talking as adults about our experiences, about our likes and dislikes and not trying to separate those things because when children can see that us as adults are free to talk about who we are and our own cultural experiences, they will be free to talk about theirs as well. And on that note... Absolutely. On that note... We've come to the end of... Let's all breathe for a second <laughs> or two, or five or ten. I've, 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 just, I've really enjoyed this conversation today, as you might be able to tell. Yeah. And I think it's a conversation that will keep going. And we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you think about this whole issue of education and race. What would you say to your non-black counterparts? How can they help to develop a curriculum or develop a discussion in our schools to help? I think it'd be great to kind of broaden this conversation out and get some guests on to kind of have a a wider discussion about how the impact of of race and, and education, you know, how we can marry the two things up really effectively. Hmm. I think of I can think of just the person. So before you say it, I have my final thought, and I've just posted it on my Instagram page at Leaders Lessons. It's also on my Twitter page at In Perspective UK, and it simply states: Update yourself to know yourself. And um, I think it's important to keep yourself relevant, keep yourself real, and keep yourself relatable. Um, as I've been saying in terms of the three R's, it's also important for your own self development, your personal development to update what you're speaking about, to update your subject knowledge, and to update yourself generally, as we've been saying on this podcast. And once you yourself have an understanding of what you're about and what you're not about, and then you can extend that to other people, it makes for a more productive, a more effective, a more harmonious environment and community around you that you are supposed to be serving, particularly as a public worker, public servant. So update yourself to know yourself are my final thoughts. And it's been a really rich, a really good podcast. I'm, I'm glad you've grasped the nettle so much, Amanda. Thank and you. you've been so passionate about it. And until the next passionate podcast from the two of us, it's goodbye from me, Mr. Wilson. And it's goodbye from me, Mrs. Wilson. Thanks for listening.